As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Holy crap, people are downloading the hell out of this stuff. These last couple episodes, man, they've been bangers. So if you are just joining this awesome ride, thank you. Thanks for hanging. Check out the archives. I've got 90 some odd hours worth of free stuff for you to check out. So do that. It's awesome. When people join on and then they email me, they're like, dude, I never knew this existed up until this episode. And I love to know the entry points. I always ask people on Twitter when they're like, oh, I got into your show here. And then, you know, we start to have a conversation and it's just awesome to hear. It's that community. It's that fun vibe, that energetic excitement of discovery. Anyways, the guest today is Mr. Ross Ferrar. He is the vocalist for a hardcore punk band called Ceremony. And if you haven't heard Ceremony, put this podcast down, go listen to them immediately. They are, in my opinion, a very, very, very good band. More on him in a minute. Let's get some fun house cleaning slash business stuff out of the way. Propertyofzack.com, our awesome partners. You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it twice. So how about a thousandth time? Or technically, probably like a 70th time if you've been listening to almost every episode. Go visit their website. We'll be brought up to speed with everything that's happening in independent music. And we love them for that. Go review the show on iTunes. If you are feeling really generous, you can write some nice sentences about the way this show makes you feel. You know, if it makes you your heart swell and it makes you feel like this is the most important hour of your of your day or your week or whatever, then say that. Or if you're like, this is a complete waste of time, Ray, you should probably stop that. You should focus on other things in your life. Then that's fine. I'll take that feedback. It's it's nice to hear those honest things occasionally, as long as it's, uh, you know, not too harsh. So that's all I ask. Yeah, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I've been having some nice conversations as of late and people sending in some song suggestions. I think I've narrowed it down. Let me put it this way. 
episode 100. It's a special one. Some stuff will be changing, and we've got a big guest. So, boom. That's 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 called a tease in the biz. I wanted to talk about something, too. Recently, uh, here in America, and well, most of the world, they pay attention to football. I could care less about it. Um, I just, I, I've never been a football dude, but we had the Super Bowl not too long ago. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Bruno Mars played the Super Bowl halftime show, which is one of, not one, it is the number one watched television program of all time with like 111 million people. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyways, there's a big hullabaloo, you know, maybe about a about three or four days after Red Hot Chili Peppers performed where people were saying, hey, look, fully the bassist isn't plugged in and they're not actually really playing their instruments. That really bothers me. And not bothers me in the sense of like, oh, it sucks that the band isn't playing their instruments. Why the hell would they be playing their actual instruments at a halftime show? Like, do you think they're going to plug in and have a wireless system through their amplifiers? Like, it, it's not an all-ages venue. It's the goddamn Super Bowl. Stuff goes wrong they're playing the backing tracks. They're performing their music as recorded. I don't know the short-sightedness like, of people that are so outraged about this. It, it honestly does bother me because it just it shows, for one, whoever's complaining about that doesn't have a lot of experience within either playing in bands, in sort of the music industry aspect of things. Um, two things which I hold dear in my life, and I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of experience with that, but who cares? They're playing this very, I mean, honestly, one of the most prestigious events in all of television to as far as eyeballs are concerned and people paying attention to you. Because, I mean, there's people that clearly either have no idea who Bruno Mars and or Red Hot Chili Peppers are. So why would anybody, including the people that are producing the halftime show, risk the idea of a technical malfunction in regards to their instruments. It's ridiculous. So lay off, chill out. Bands that are on that level sometimes don't actually play their instruments when they're doing a special event like that. If you go to a Red Hot Chili Peppers show and they're not playing their instruments, that's a bummer. I get that. This is not a normal show. So chill the hell out. How to get it off my chest? Anger. It's just, just seething. It wasn't really, but it's just, I'm like, you know, come on, have some perspective, people. Anyways, Ross Farrar, Ceremony. They're, like I said, they're a great band. Ross, I've never known personally, never met him. They have existed in my life for quite some time. I've worked with the band professionally on a music festival that I put together, and they're always great. Super professional really on top of it from the business side of things but then also they're just you know you never know what you're going to get when you watch them play live they're going to be energetic they're going to be all over the place you never know what songs they're going to play you never know exactly what they're going to do and obviously that's an awesome aspect of the band ross has always had this reputation which i will hit in on the interview he's kind of uh for lack of a better term like enigmatic where it's like oh man like i don't know exactly what's up with that singer i don't know I heard he was in prison at one time and like so many people talk. And so it was cool that Ross was not only willing to talk about that stuff with me, but then also just kind of, you know, show who he is as a human being. Because I don't care how small or large of a music scene you exist in, there's something interesting about your life you know, people will start to talk about it. And, you know, the game of telephone is played and it will get distorted to be like, oh, Ross murdered people. So he was in jail for like seven years of his life when in actuality, it's the complete opposite. I digress. Let's talk to Ross. I'll talk to you afterwards.
really face to face. We've existed in the same yeah. rooms for many years, but yeah, I think one of the first times I saw you guys play, I think it was 2007. It had to have been, I think, the second Sound and Fury. Uh, it's where you guys yeah. did, yeah, where you guys did your uh, Dead Kennedys cover, the because you used to do oh, ho- yeah. yeah Holiday in Cambodia, right? It was Uber um, Alice, California. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But by that time, leading into it, you know, obviously people have started to talk about you guys, but it was one of those things where watching you guys play the lack of a better term it was fun like what you guys were doing and like how everybody was just just losing their minds it was fun and it's one of those things where it it sounds stupid to like say that like oh wow watching a band is fun because that's what it should fucking be (laughs) but it, it just like that sense of like my gosh like this is unpredictable yet awesome yet you know, somewhat dangerous, but engaging, like all these things that obviously led to fun. And, uh, I mean, I, I presume that obviously that was the, uh, the onset of the band as far as like, Hey, like we just like playing together and like to have fun with one another. Yeah, of course. That's what it always comes down to, you know? Right. You don't do it if it's not fun. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You would hope. Yeah. But yeah, so it was just, it was really interesting to kind of watch that. And especially when you guys obviously, you know, did, like I said, the Dead Kennedys cover, you know, certain covers that you do that, you know, you're guaranteed to elicit a response from kids, but that, that cover obviously could teeter on the edge. There are kids who obviously would, probably you know maybe within the context of a hardcore scene may have no idea who dead kennedys are just because they've never even messed with the punk stuff quote unquote yeah (laughs) but yeah yeah, it was it it was just awesome to watch watch that all transpire and have everybody be like oh no no we know this song this is good yeah i think that was that was right when violent songs came out and um we did a long introduction in the dark with craft oh yeah i think that was right yeah we did the uh we did the asylum introduction I remember when the lights went on, it was just pandemonium. I mm. couldn't believe it. It was so crazy. Or right. no, scared people had just come out, I think. That's what it was. Yeah, I, it kind of took us all by surprise because that's one of the more memorable moments where right when the when the music starts, it's just chaotic. You yeah. can't help but open your eyes and say, holy shit, this is out of control. Like, what has happened? What has my life come to with all these people just going psycho for what you're doing? It's pretty, um, it's pretty, it's pretty moving, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And especially because... Uh, I mean, I, I played in bands for years and when you actually like kind of, you know, feel like you're having sort of an out of body experience in the sense of like where mm-hmm. you like exactly what you're describing, where it's like you walk out on stage and you're just like, holy shit, like where you actually recognize what's happening yeah. as, a, as opposed to kind of just like in, not for, uh, you know, not, not like in a negative context, but like going through the motions of like playing a show. But when you actually like notice what's happening, that's when you're just like, holy shit. Like, this is crazy. For sure. Um, so, uh, it, do- it doesn't really happen too often. Uh-huh. You know, because you, when you start playing a show, you, you're playing it and you're in, you're in your little zone and you're freaking out. Right. Like I said, coming out to that and seeing everyone go crazy. And it happened also this year at this hardcore, the same thing. I was like totally taken aback by what was happening for a second there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Right. You're like, here, here's me. I'm going to have to do something. Yeah, exactly. So you, you yourself, were you, uh, born and raised up in the, uh, the Bay area or where, where'd you come from? Yeah, I was, I was born in San Francisco. Where were we living at the time? I think my family was living in Nevada. Maybe we were somewhere in San Rafael. Okay. But, um, something was going on and we were in San Francisco, I think. Um, I was born on, uh, one of the Super Bowls, one of the 40, I think the 49ers were playing. It was the Super Bowl. 1984. Uh-huh. We were in San Francisco, so I was born in San Francisco, and I kind of was living in and out of Marin for a while, like, but not, not in like the hoity-toity part, but 
like right on the edge of Novato, like kind of on the outskirts of Novato. Okay. And then we moved to Runner Park when I was like five, and I lived in Runner Park till I, from five to like uh, maybe about twenty. Okay. Yeah, and then at uh, twenty, I moved to San Francisco, and I lived there for about five years, and then I lived in Oakland for about six months, and then I moved to Santa Rosa, and that's where I am now. Nice, nice. So, but yeah, you you are tried and true of the Bay Area. You've been you've been all over oh, yeah. there. <laughs> I love the Bay Area. I mean, I say I'll never leave it, but it's an amazing place. You know, the weather's perfect. You got all kinds of different climates. You get any any kind of climate you want. You can go to the beach, and it's beautiful. And it can be foggy. Then you can go to the Sierras, and you can go to the cities. Or you can go to even a desert area if you'd like to. And is pretty cool out here yeah living in like the orange county southern california area it's the exact same experience where it's like yeah you, you can drive an hour and you can go to the desert or mountains or whatever and it's like i just always remember friends bands touring out to california for like you know the first or second time once they spend any time in california they're just like why the hell do i live where i live why can't i live here <laughs> Like, just because it is that like oh wow the climate's great like oh there's there's sun like and then there's there's also <laughs> there's like there's just a bunch of nice things and it's like yeah that's why we live here yeah, incredible <laughs> yeah. so what what was your uh what's your what's your family structure like do you have brothers and sisters and what were your uh what were your parents what were your parents doing at the time like when obviously your your formative years as they were raising you for a job well, my mom, um, my mom had two kids before me with another man. So mm-hmm. she had already done, done, done the child thing when she and that started when she was eighteen. So oh, okay. I don't think she had me until I was like until she was like her thirties. Okay. <clears throat> so I was her last child, and um, yeah, I grew up with brothers and sisters, but they were much older than me. They were in their twenty. They were about about fifteen to twenty years older than me. Okay. So that's kind of weird. Now my sister's turning like you know I think. 46 or 47 pretty soon here right <laughs> that's pretty pretty trippy you know well yeah but, um, you had, there's a, there's such a wide age difference that essentially you probably felt like an only child in some respects yeah yeah, yeah exactly because they weren't they were, i mean they were around but at, at one point you know they were out doing their own their own thing so right right i yeah. essentially kind of grew up in uh, runner park alone because my early my really early years i had my brother and sister mm-hmm. but um as I moved to Runner Park, I kind of didn't really have them around much. So, and my parents, uh, they're, they're still together. They've been married for like 30 years. And, uh, right now they're living in San Anselmo. It's a little, uh, a little tiny town inside of, kind of inside of, in between San Rosal and Fairfax. Oh, okay. What, what did your parents do for a job as you were coming up? My mom didn't do anything. She was just a, a mom. <laughs> sure. And my dad is—he's uh, been a house painter for about forty years. So. Oh, the a man that works with his hands. Yes, sir. It's funny because I've I've chipped on this this topic a few times before, but I find it really interesting because I think people of—I uh, mean, I'm 33 years old, and I think people of like our generation. I personally am not handy at all, and like, mm-hmm. I mean, my father—you know—didn't really he, he didn't really care about that stuff either. But it's like I feel like there's this whole generation of of people that are you know around our age that just don't don't have any skills from that perspective and like where where's where's that going to go when obviously people you know like your your father and other people that you know know how to do stuff around the house and yeah for uh, sure where where that's all going to lead us like are we going to be you know are we going to be calling on uh, you know 75 year old handyman when we're a little bit older it's like yeah, I don't probably know. yeah yeah it's becoming more and more seldom that people are working with their hands you know yeah yeah and doing things analog obviously it's everything a lot of things are becoming computer and, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's got to be, there's always going to be some, you know, some contingent 
management of contractors or painters or plumbers. There has to be, you know. I mean, I can't see how it could ever really change, of course, unless we're talking like singularity or something, you know, or we get right robots to start doing everything. But yeah, there's always going to be a certain small percentage of people that are doing that, maybe carrying it on to their children. Right, right. I know how to I know how to paint, obviously, because I've kind of done that my whole life with my dad, just helping him out and you know doing odd jobs or whatever. But the tracking is another one of those really important things. We got to build homes and we have to supply people with shelter. So it's like Jesus, man, they got to keep being nerds, got to keep being contractors, or else things aren't going to go right. I mean, it's the you know quote unquote inflation proof job where it's like, you know, no matter what's happening with society as far as like you know how our how we're structured, there are always going to be a need for people to fix stuff and people to build stuff. So and people to consume stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, there's always going to be bartenders and there's always going to be theories because that's what people love to do. You know, the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it. Instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, and when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So did you actually enjoy that experience of, like, you know, painting and learning that that craft, so to speak? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of a zen trade, you know, very meticulous especially if you're cutting in a ceiling or cutting anything like a window or anything like that. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you got to have good eyes, you know? 
And I don't have glasses. Right. Glasses are for right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're able to work around that. So as you as you were as you were growing up, would you know how how would you paint the picture of your you know the way that you obviously you dealt with your your family and stuff like that? Was it one of those things? Like, was it a contentious relationship? Was that a, was that a pun? Was that a pun there? I just heard. Or? Yeah, actually, I that was a completely unintended. Paint the picture of your. That was totally just like completely out of my subconscious, but I appreciate okay, you. Po- yeah, cool. I appreciate you pointing it out though. That's- <laughs> but yes, how would you paint that picture of, uh, you know, the, the way, uh, yeah, the way that you were raised, you know, did, did your, uh, I mean, obviously your parents are together, so they're, they must, they must be doing something, right? Yeah, it was good. You know, I just was. I was just a little asshole. That's all. Right. <laughs> I was always in trouble, and I was, I was, I've always kind of been a punk by nature, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Because I, I mean, unfortunately, because I, I put my parents through a lot of shit, you know. Right. Yeah, I just always, I always haven't felt good around authority figures, or you know, I never liked to be told what to do. Obviously, and a lot of kids, they they go through that complex, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, I can say that I'm not not too happy in that in that setting in any circumstance. So, right, I know how to deal with it a lot better. I think though, because I've went through so much of that. So, sure, you know, now if a police officer stops me, I know how to handle it perfectly. I know what to do, what to say, and how to act, and mm-hmm. kind of thankful for that. But you know, I always have my eyes open no matter what, especially to to that kind of thing. And where uh, do you, can you trace it back to any uh, any specific event or anything, or is it just one of those things that you started, you know, you from a young kid, you were just, you were always wary of that? Yeah, it's just always been an instinctual thing, I think. Um, I can't really say an exact place and time where it happened with authority. I just was never, I was just never a, a good kid. I was always getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember, I remember once I was at, I was at a concert. My my uncle was a was a God fearing Christian. He took me to a, a concert once in Oakland at the Coliseum, and it was like a big Christian concert mm-hmm. with my other cousins because they were kind of trying to put me to the other side, you know. Sure. Fear of God in me and stuff. So right. I went with them to try out this concert, and after the concert was finished, there were, they had all these pastors and pastors and it's like um, you know like clergymen or whatever walking around the crowd trying to give people pamphlets and taking people's names and phone numbers down. And I was standing next to my uncle, and when this guy asked me this, and I felt really weird, so I kind of gave him, I gave him my phone number and my name. I think I was about like twelve or something at the time. Okay. And uh, about you know a few days later, I started getting calls from all these churches that were close to me, trying to get me to to sign up for their church or to start coming to their whatever wherever the, they are. Yeah, their ser- their service. Right, right. You know, and um, whether it was like what was the thing for kids? Uh, Youth group. Yeah, youth service. There's another one. Uh, let's see, youth group. Um, I don't know. That's the only Cata- one. That... Catechism. something. Oh, catechism. Something like that. I don't. Yeah, I think catechism was one of them. Okay. And uh, I kept getting these calls for like a week, and finally, and I felt weird about it because I felt like somebody was trying to, you know, well, pull you off f- my skin or something. So right. Well, you felt. I'm sure. I mean, that sounds like. That's the way that you're describing that sounds exactly like obviously what the military does. Yeah, of course. Of yeah, course. Yeah, they get your that's it's just weird because I've never heard of that experience like what you're talking yeah. about. And it's just interesting. So anyways, you, you you were getting these calls. And it just made me feel uncomfortable right off the bat. So finally one day I I got another call, final call, my mom grabbed the phone to me and said, Don't ever call her again and hung up on the people and I never got any more calls after that. So 
Wow. That's crazy. It was like the weight was lifted off my shoulder, you know. I was like, fuck, I don't talk to these people anymore. Fantastic. For me, that's a, like, that inspires such a weird feeling. Cause I mean, I had that experience with like a military call. It's like, you know, the, yeah. the guy, the guy would call every like six months to be like, Hey, man, I, I'm telling you, you should, you should be interested in this. And me being like, I literally am never going to join the army. I am not interested. And he'd be like, I'll, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just call you in six months. Just give me six months. And it's like, dude, no. Yeah, it's so weird. It makes you feel so uncomfortable. Right. I just don't, I don't understand how that would actually like work. Like, are people, are people so, I don't know, just like scared to say something be like, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in this. And like, you know, stop the hard sell, like stop talking to me. Yeah. I think that might be a tact of it is that people, you know, either they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings that they're having this conversation with Mm -hmm. or they're shy or it's putting them in such a vulnerable place that they might give in to certain things, you know? So yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll wear you down eventually. Yeah. That's weird. There's all kinds of different psychological things I'm sure that they do that for, you know. You, like you said, you always started causing trouble. Like, were you, you know, ever since in elementary school, were you being, you know, a little shit and doing, um, yeah. you know, pranks and that sort of stuff? Cause, uh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it obviously continued to escalate throughout your, you know, uh, junior high and high school career. Yeah, definitely. As you started to, you know, matriculate and go to, uh, you know, higher grades, besides obviously, like you said, a, a you know, a, a shit starter, you know, what sort of role did you find yourself playing? Were you that, you know, that weird punk dude in the corner or were, you know, did you identify with anything else as far as like, you know, in high school and stuff like that? Like any kid, you go, you go through the motions of adolescence and you find different things and you try to adapt different styles or different things will inspire you then to me you know sometimes are things that you're not very proud of but mm. you kind of go through a lot of stuff and i i think I, before i even got into um punk rock i was into hip-hop okay In junior high i was like break dancing a lot <laughs> oh dude did you did you do the, got, you did the full-on uh full-on cardboard boxes and stuff oh yeah oh yeah that was in the garage we had we had we had it all man we were going for it oh man and that- i think even before i got into punk i got into hip-hop and then i got in through hip-hop i got into punk i believe so uh-huh. and there was even a time i think where i was into like rock and roll like you know it's more maybe more into led zeppelin and like even like things like kiss or something and then i was like oh man i, I don't know there's got to be something else and i heard um i started listening to a lot of the uk stuff like conflict and chaos uk and all that and then that segued into faster things like minor threat when i heard minor threat that's how i learned about hardcore because mm-hmm. i like i liked how fast it was the the, the fastness of that of that uh, discography of all those songs that they made especially the ones at the beginning you know right those are what really pumped me up and i think got me into to hardcore music was that since you didn't have old, really older siblings to rely on for that where was your you know who, who was doing the introduction stuff to, for you um, I think just friends, friends, friends from school. Yeah, you know, like just kids who I, kids who I would meet being a, a badass. Yeah, those badass kids listening to badass music. You know, <laughs> right? You're like my lifestyle determines my death style. <laughs> They're like, you want to fucking break this window? Yeah, listen to this first. Get you pumped up. You basically, for all intent and purposes, you were you were hanging out with the other quote unquote mischief makers of of like, hey, we're we're bored. We need to find something destructive to do. Yeah, kind of. I mean, and it happened. Everything happens. It ha- for me. Happened very. It wasn't linear at all. You know, because it was so separate. Like at ninety three, I first saw a black flag tape on the on the uh, shelf of the skateboard shop in Santa Rosa called Concrete Jungle. Okay. And then, you know, I, I was skateboarding and then like 
I just started all kinds of different stuff at really random times. Like I said, breakdancing came to me when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. You know, like I rode a BMX bike at one point. I had rollerblades at one point, and that was a big part of my life. Like I was into rollerblading. I was into doing yo-yos. I was like into all this weird shit all throughout my life. Right. Kind of sporadic, but... In the way that you're describing that, because I definitely, I I can empathize with what you're talking about as far as, like, when you kind of find something, you become obsessed with it, where it's like, you're like, that's all, that's all I want to do. And so, like, that's, that's how extreme your swings were, where it was like, okay, now I'm, I'm super in on every Dunkin' Yo-Yo possible, I gotta do that. (laughs) Exactly. Of course. I mean, that's how, that's how your mind works when you're, when you're a kid, though, you know? Right, right. And it might even still go, that might follow, and that might, it might even happen your whole life, whatever. You get into stuff and you become momentarily obsessed with it. Yeah. Or maybe even for longer periods of time. But. And how, how are your parents reacting at this time to you being, you know, uh, obsessed about all these random different things? Were they just kind of uh, like, were they just like, well. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs> this must have been hell for them. They're like, what the hell? They're like, what's wrong with you? You're going out, you're doing everything, you know? How could we, how could we figure out how to corral this kid's interests? Yeah. How could we sit in a room with this kid and be so weird and crazy doing everything at once? Would you have defined yourself as like, uh, you know, like antisocial or is it one of those things where you're just kind of like, no, I just, uh, you stuck to your friends? No, I just get along. I got along with pretty much everyone. I mean, I wasn't like a super popular kid, but, um, I wasn't like, you know, yeah, like you said, like I wasn't antisocial or I wasn't like a kid in the corner or whatever. I mean, I was weird. I've never, I've never been the one to be like, you know, alienating myself or anything like that. Sure, sure. Did you, uh, did you care about uh, schoolwork and stuff like that? Did you have aspirations to be like, oh, I can't wait to go to no, college? No, no, no way. I just <laughs> did schoolwork. I didn't do anything like that. Right. It was always hobbies or like, you know, pursuing pursuing some other means of entertainment the escalating issues that you had as far as authority and just you know causing mischief what was the, what was the worst that it got and then how did you you know kind of i guess back yourself off from that to be like okay that's the limit i shouldn't do that again no there's, there's it's never ended <laughs> really still yeah i'm not i'm still doing that i'm always doing you know things i shouldn't be doing so that's but but ne- never any never any problem with the the quote-unquote uh you know you get thrown in jail anything from from oh that, yeah of course there's all all kinds like, of like uh what, what was the most serious charge that you got that got brought upon you um probably grand theft and i, I got i was put in jail for 40 days oh 40 days okay not too long uh, longer longer for probably most normal people i mean quote-unquote normal people yeah <laughs> It was long enough. Let's just say that. With that's and how old were you when that happened? Um, I think I was twenty-one. Okay. Did that have a sobering impact, or was that just like, yo, let me just get through this? Yeah. No, I just get through. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't do I do, that charge or whatever that I got for. I stopped doing those things, but I've always just kind of been like, do what you do, live your life. But as you get older, you kind of learn how to. You know, you just get better. You get better at being bad. You, you know, you're more conscious of your surroundings. <laughs> right, right. And you learn how to you learn how to deal with things like that. Honestly, the way that you phrase it and the way that you put it is very. Uh, it's very true because it's like the saying. You know, there's a time and a place for everything, and all all you're doing is taking all of your your experiences of like, okay, here's how I got caught, and here's how here's how it went wrong. Now, what can I do? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I mean, I've always been the kind of person who's like, you know, I don't ever want to be controlled in any moment of my life as far as just, just walking on this earth and um, being a living and breathing person. You know, when it comes to like, 
with things with the relationships or things, uh, especially the relationships, whether it's people that you love or your friends or whatever, sometimes you have to give up and you have to do things and you have to, you know, do the right thing. But sure. I think if you're out there in the world, you're always, you're always against the person who's trying to watch you closely or take you down, no matter what. You're always against. And, um, I've just never, I've just never been that person who say, oh, okay, well, I got a jaywalking ticket, so last week, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to press the button. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not going to let these people do that to me, you know, because that's just kind of a way of inducing fear, and I just don't want to ever have that in my soul, you know what I mean? I just don't want it. I totally identify with you, because, like, there, this is, this is going to sound so trite and stupid. Like I mentioned earlier, it's like, I'm 33 years old. Like, I'm a fucking adult by all intent and purposes. Like, I'm married. I've got a kid. Like, all the normal shit that people do. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I'm still involved in music. Like, we're still involved in all this weird youth culture stuff. But at the same time, it's yeah. like, dude, when I I go when I go to airports and I'm like traveling, I always steal shit from convenience stores there. Like I take water, <laughs> I take I take water, I take gum. The way that you describe it as far as like, dude, fuck you for charging four dollars for a goddamn water. I'm just gonna goddamn take yeah, it. Yeah, of course. You you feel like you do take that ownership back of like, yo, you don't really got me. <laughs> no. There's a romantic quality to that and being like you don't wanna be you know, it might it might even be a little bit more acceptable when you're you know, you're 60 years old and you stay a candy bar in your pocket to somehow never let go of that youthful, um, yeah. that youthful, you know, whatever, nostalgia or whatever, but may, always like kind of keeping it there in you. Like that's kind of a, that's kind of a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. I just, I, you, you helped me think of it in different terms. Cause like I've, I've, you know, told a few people that and they're like, what do you do that? And I'm always trying to like, yeah. I'm always trying to synthesize that, but I'm like, oh no, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. You're never going to be a square. You know, that's a beautiful, that's a, a good thing to think of. Yeah, no, for sure. And so obviously as you were, uh, you know, you were, you're starting to get more and more into independent music. Was it, was it one of those things that became pretty clear pretty quickly that you wanted to like play in a band or was it one of those things that that was just a byproduct of the people you hung out with yeah it was just a byproduct i didn't really ever think about it at all and then one day we hey let's start a band just like you know like you hear what people do really <laughs> nonchalantly and um yeah we just decided to start a band we started playing in the upstairs bedroom of the drummer's house and one thing led to another played some shows people really liked it yeah played more shows and then we started getting people calling us saying hey come to Washington, come to LA, come here, and then, you know, just spreads quickly after that. Right, right. So Ceremony was your first band? Um, no, my first band was a band called Hammer Time. I totally, I don't know why, yeah. I, I totally, I don't know why I blanked on that, but yeah, that's right. Okay, so. And yeah, and then Ceremonies quickly after that. Okay, but, but Hammer, Hammer Time is where you first kind of started to play shows and cut your teeth. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and you, and I forget, you were singing for that, right? Yeah, I was singing for that, yeah. And did you, did you immediately feel comfortable with that role, or was it something you needed to learn to kind of become comfortable with? Pretty immediate, I think. Pretty immediate. Yeah. Because a lot, because I mean, I think a, another way for me to, to adapt that immediacy, because I was just playing in front of friends, you know, it wasn't like I was playing in front of strangers or anything. Sure, sure. It wasn't like we were playing at local bars. We were like a community center where like all of our friends, like being kind of easy to break that entertainment that, uh, the, the, there wasn't, there wasn't a separation between entertainer and audience, you know, so I think that made it a lot easier. I think that's how kind of a lot easier for hardcore bands or punk bands or whatever to, you know, maybe 
take on bigger crowds or what have you and just be kind of it just becomes kind of an easier thing i think for us hey, that's true yeah yeah because obviously you could you could know, for some people i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about really, but. no 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 well i can see i can see your point because it's like you're able to kind of gradually ramp up Whereas opposed to, you know, or certain bands, if they start with like, you know, a business plan first and then everything else afterwards, you know, they're like their first show may be in front of like 500 people and they have no idea, you know, like two of them are their friends and they're immediately having to be, they have to be comfortable in front of that many people. And it's like, oh, like how, how could you? You're awful. A lot of bands might start out just playing in front of strangers too, you know, so that's, that's gotta be weird. I would think. Yeah. And so, and once you started to kind of taste the sort of, you know, touring band lifestyle, was that like, again, you kind of put all your chips into that and you were like, I want to try to figure out a way to do this. Or were you, um, were there other things that you were interested in exploring as far as like, oh, I'll get a job here. Or were you just like kind of painting with your dad in, in between tours and so, stuff like that? Yeah, I, could, I did that sometimes, but it was mostly just always been a hobby and I've never really taken it too seriously. I consider it uh, an, an, an art project like anything else, but it's been a long standing art project for me, just writing lyrics and like touring and stuff. But, um, you know, it's not just my life, solely my life as the band, obviously. I have other things that mm-hmm. I'm focused on and, you know, I don't want to be, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to be a rock and roll guy for the rest of my life. You know, I kind of want to other stuff so sure some people will think that that's weird or whatever like oh you have this this perfect perfect uh job you get to travel and you get to uh drink beer every second of your life and uh you know groupies and shit and you're kind of like man you just don't know what you're talking about (laughs) well no it's (laughs) It's not like that at all it's it's funny for i mean for obviously just only knowing you primarily through obviously the music you create and watching you play you've always struck me as a person that has remain involved but detached if that makes sense where it's like you're like yeah you know like where you're you're in it and you're doing it but like you just said, that does your your identity isn't solely you know you're not Ross from Ceremony, even though you are, but you don't view yourself as such because a lot of a lot of people, like you said, the people that you know get kind of uh, you know stuck and it becomes difficult to um, transition to either different things that you're interested in your life is when you put all of your identity in the one thing that you create when there's other facets, yeah. you know, and yeah, so you've. I mean, it's cool to hear you say that because that's definitely the impression just from, you know, an outsider's perspective of being like, oh, okay, I see. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I mean, you can never, like a person like Bob Dylan or Mick Jagger or whatever, they, that's who they are, you know, that's yeah. what they put their life into, which might be, you know, probably because they're making millions of dollars, but that's, <laughs> that's who they are regardless, no matter what. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. Kind of different for me because I've got other stuff going on, like I said. Right, right, right. Yeah, what do you, what do you, speaking of other stuff going on, what do you, you know, what are you, what are you focusing on currently? Cause you're, you're at school right now, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to get my, my school stuff done. That's been hard because I've been touring for 10 years, you know? Sure. There's a lot of, uh, gaps in my education and a lot of time off. So I'm kind of just now finally finishing my, uh, junior college stuff before, before transferring hopefully to UC. Oh, okay. So I put my applications in in November and, um, the three schools I'm trying to do are either Berkeley, Santa Cruz, or UC Davis. Okay, we'll see. What are you trying to What are you trying to pursue study wise? And um, well, it's kind of different at each school because some of them have minors and some of them don't. But Berkeley would just be straight up English lit with probably like um, a liberal arts focus. Okay. And uh, Santa Cruz would be more focused on writing, and Davis would be English 
with kind of more of a, I guess, a lit side, maybe like a, with critical theory mixed in with maybe a minor in design. So, and I've been doing design work for ceremony and for what what have you for a long time. So I figured that's kind of the only school that really has that option. So it might be nice to go to Davis because they have the design thing going on. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Well, that sounds cool. I mean, it sounds, it's always refreshing to talk to people such as yourself that have that sort of, you know, the, the foot firmly planted in quote unquote real life as far as like, you know, I want to be productive outside the context of this, this band that people know me of for. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and it's, you're taking all the elements of what you've done with ceremony, but being able to distill that down to be, it's like, yeah, this is going to cross over the real world too. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is awesome. I mean, in this day and age, in this day and age, you're there's not too many rock stars, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think you have to be a little bit more grounded in that. There's personal life and there's there's a fun life, but there's also you have to figure out a way to uh, you have to have a means to make money. Unfortunately, you have to make money regardless. So yeah, as much as I would love to to, to rock my whole life, there's into reality there saying, Ross, you uh, gotta really make a substantial amount of money to live, to pay for your beautiful girlfriend and her needs and maybe her future needs and your future needs. So the ceremony obviously kind of hit the well not kind of, you guys hit the ground running and a lot of people paid attention to what you guys did immediately. And the ascension as far as the level of popularity that you guys achieved in a, a relatively short period of time. Um, I thought it was cool because it didn't seem like a lot of people, you know, even though ceremony was labeled a quote unquote hype band, whatever that means, by the, the, the popular culture, hardcore kid or whatever, that seemed to wash away really quickly because it was obviously what you guys were doing was coming from a very sincere and real place. Like it didn't feel like there was any sort of, you know, co-option of the culture or whatever. Was it, was it one of those things that as you guys, you know, as you started to notice the popularity rising pretty quickly, did you feel like you had to manage that at all? Or was it one of those things where you guys were just kind of like, we have to try to take this in stride or what was, I mean, more so from your experience, more than obviously the band as a whole, because you can obviously only speak for yourself, but how did you try to manage that as things were kind of getting big quickly? Well, you, we all know, especially nowadays and the way things are going, that it's, you know, it's uncool to be cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to, I guess, kind of regulate that somehow. And I think you have to maintain that human level on a lot of the, a lot of the things you do, especially the way that you go about your band. Right. And um, you know, you can't really a lot of a lot of that stuff you can't you can't really stop. It's a it's like a tidal wave. If you start being cool, you're going to be cool for a while. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of the way things work too now is that you're cool for a little bit and then you're uncool. And you know, that, that has to do with time. And a lot of people, because things are so fast these days, they take in all this stuff really quickly. They digest it and they, they shit it out at the same time. You know, because they're on to the next thing. Or under the next cool band, or under the next band that everyone's talking about. They every few, you know, it's like the news. People want to be up on it. As far, the way that we've always dealt with it is just who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're a band and you're going to do what you do regardless. That's just kind of one of the, the detrimental sides of, of playing in the in a, in a modern band, mm. you know, postmodern band, a pomo band. 
right. dealing with this internet stuff and all this, uh, all these things are going on such a, at such an accelerating level. So, I mean, we yeah. kind of go about our, our, our stuff the way we do. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense too, because I mean, you guys definitely came, I mean, you guys hit obviously at the right time in regards to the fact that you didn't, you weren't forced to make the decision immediately in regards to, you know, like, oh, dude, we, we have to have Twitter, we have to have Facebook, we have to have all these social media outlets, because you guys, you know, it was right, you guys obviously started right before that stuff, you know, took hold. So you, yeah. did, you didn't need to make that decision. You obviously made a decision later on where it's like, we don't need, you know, we don't need any of that. That's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or if we do, if we do do it, it's on a very, you know, merely information is being shared. That's all. Um, yeah. you're lucky that you obviously didn't have to, you know, make that, draw that line in the sand immediately where you had to figure that out. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony put it in a really good way for a long time. And then one of the reasons why we didn't do that is because we didn't want to kind of bog ourselves down. Like we didn't want to have to do that stuff because it would take away from what we were focused on doing, which is making the music and just being, being a band. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to really pervert ourselves anymore. Cause we already had that. We already had that thing. Oh, they're, they're a hype band and they're, <laughs> You know, they're doing all this shit. It's like, I think a lot of those things are, are kind of meant to boost ego. And people people look at how many followers you have and they, they base that on how popular band, your band is, which is unfortunate, but that's right. kind of the way things work these days. And there's a certain perversion to that, you know? I, I'm, we're kind of looking at it differently now because it's gone on for so long. And it is kind of one of these things that's a vehicle for actually people get to know your band. And that's essentially what people want. If you're an artist, you want people to... You want people to hear your work. You want people to look at your work because your main intention is to move people in some way. So you want to move as many people as you want, but I think people kind of lose that idea, especially now with um, a lot of things are based on a number. Four thousand followers. You're like you're the man. Yeah. Since the uh, the clamor has you know the noise has died down to where it's like okay these these things are obviously like as you stated an important medium and it's not yeah it's more of a communication thing i think now than it used to be but yeah so no no totally totally and then you distinctly started to make the you know, quote-unquote transition from obviously playing you know playing just when i say that we're just uh, not in a bad way but just hardcore shows to obviously breaking yourself out of of that particular scene and playing with bands you know even before you guys put out your last record of you know bands that were of different genres and stuff like that um was it one of those things that it was a distinct decision made because uh you obviously felt like it would keep the uh, i guess creative energy flowing or was it one of those things that like we're just doing this because we're you know and not putting words in your mouth but you know we're uh, you know we're we're bored in playing these shows that we've been playing for the past you know six or seven years <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't really, it was more just more just uh we didn't really talk about it or anything it wasn't really planned we just kind of started playing songs like you could tell from uh violence violence to to still he moves you it gets a little weirder a little archier right and then from uh from still he moves you to to uh, run apart it's you know things start to slow down a little bit Mm-hmm. Start to focus more on, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's articulation. Like you try to, the words you can hear a little more, the music you can groove to a little more. And then from that to zoo, obviously, is another step. So it's kind of just the thing that happened naturally with us. We don't really plan it at all. Sure. We just started playing these songs. And uh, it's really weird. I think about it all the time. Like, well, there's a lot of different ways you can look on it based on perspective. But you know, there's the argument, obviously, of course, that we've gotten softer. Yeah, it's definitely, the music's definitely gotten softer. 
and even uh, I, even I think the subject matter sometimes is getting a little softer, but I think that's just natural progression of of getting older sometimes, and that's going to be unfortunate because you want to keep that that uh, you know that anger alive sometimes or that youth youthful angst or whatever. But you know, mm-hmm. I still you know I might start a band in the next couple of weeks. It's you know the, the fucking craziest thing anyone's ever heard to so uh, abrasive. You know, mm-hmm. like I can make a choice to do that. I could make a band like that at any time because I I know that music now. I know I know what it's like. I know what it sounds like. I know the aesthetic, and I could do that. But as far as my life goes right now, I'm just kind of I'm doing this naturally. I'm I, you know I'm slowing down. I'm almost thirty. And that's just, that's the only thing I can say about it, you know? You know, what you're saying completely matches up to the idea that it's like, yeah, I can express myself in this way that I have expressed myself over the course of the entire band as far as just uh, uh, sonically. But there's an idea of just because you're becoming more nuanced in the way you're presenting your music doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're less pissed or whatever. It's like you, you don't have to, you don't have to be on 11 the entire time in order to be heard, if that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have to be on eleven, man. You don't no. have to be on eleven. You could be on eight too. No biggie. <laughs> uh, something else I wanted to, you know, peek in, peek in your head about was when you guys made the transition from Bridge Nine to Matador. A, a lot of people were like, "Whoa, like, dude, ceremony, big time! Like, this is a, that's it." I mean, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense as far as a logical sonic progression, um, but. And I'm sure, obviously, leading up to that point, a lot of different labels have been talking to you in regards to releasing your next stuff. So how was that whole courting process as far as, like, you know, people who you would kind of never expect be interested in the band, be interested in the band? Yeah, that was weird. How did you guys, I mean, obviously, you guys navigated it, in my opinion, appropriately. But, um, you know, do you, do you have any specific instances where it was like, yo, that's weird they were talking to us, or that that was a weird um, experience from this label? No, 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 it's never been like that. It was always, it was like, it's like the same thing. It was always pretty natural. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, it wasn't like they pulled up in a, uh, in a white, uh, double decker stretch limo. Like, Come on in, man. We're gonna show you this other side of life. I think they showed up at like some show in Brooklyn at Kent, or maybe uh, Johnson Street, or something like that. And they were just they just uh, they were actually hanging out with one of my friends at the time, and we met through them, and we had some drinks, and we were just you know just chatting. And then I later on in the night, he's like, "Oh, he's from Matador." I was like, "Oh, wow, man, it's all." Uh, I started tripping out because obviously one of those labels been around for twenty plus years. And, Right. All these great things came out of it, and and there was a level of uh, of distinction there, and there's a level of I don't want to say superiority, but yeah, you know, like um, well, it's a different level as far as taste goes, and it's just it's just a different level, obviously. So that was kind of a trip, but it was never one of those things that was weird, like you know, something that you would conjure in your mind about you know, record labels, you know, like oh yeah, come over here with us, like cigars, and it's pretty. It was it was. It was pretty chill. The way that they present themselves is definitely not that, you know. <laughs> it's not like they're going to come up to you and be like, you guys want to talk about that Mogwai money? You guys want to make that Mogwai money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, they're they're an independent record label still, so. I'm sure you did have those experiences of, not not like the whole, like you said, you know, jokingly with the stretch limo and stuff like that, but people that didn't really have a context for where you guys were coming from, but your name started to circulate as far as a, a, a cool hip band is concerned. Um, did you have any of those experiences? Not that I can remember off the top of my head. Just, uh, different kinds of people started showing up to our shows. Right. You know, like we would get maybe a little bit of an older crowd or, you know, models. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, Jay-Z showing up. Yeah, you know, we get like, you know, different, different looking people. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't just uh, you know because when you were when we were first starting, it was of course a lot a lot of the younger crowd. But you kind of yeah you kind of you kind of see it you see it a little more in um, the people that show up to your shows to watch you. There's a there's maybe um it, it maybe it gets across to maybe like a from a different intellectual perspective, people are looking at it in certain ways. So. Mm-hmm. Sure. Two uh, two last things I wanted to hit on was um, the reputation preceded you personally as far as like, oh, dude, if you go see Ceremony, the singer goes fucking crazy, dude, like pulls his shirt over his head and like... <laughs> So yeah, yeah you totally, have totally. you have you have people expecting the idea of showmanship. Like I mean, it's obviously the same problem that you know Damien from Fucked Up has. It's like anytime anybody does something on stage and it gets spoken about, you're expected to do it on you know on a either a nightly or you know tour basis or whatever. Yeah, you're supposed to be radical. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So how, how how's that sat in your head to be like, oh man, I just. Have you gone the complete opposite direction and just been like, here I am on a mic stand and that's all you're getting tonight because I'm just. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, okay. <laughs> I can't, I think it's just, I think it's just based on mood, you know, how, how you feel. Right. I think a lot of it has to do with the crowd because the crowd's going crazy. You're going crazy, but if, it, if it's just a low key night, not too many people in the crowd, people are just chilling, drinking their beers. It's going to be, it's going to reflect on you. Mm-hmm. As far as energy goes, you know, so I tend to I tend to be a little more mellow and crowds mellow, but I tend to be a little, a little crazier when the crowds going wild. Has anyone like actually come up to you and expressed their disappointment as far as like, oh man, you, you used to be so crazy, like what happened? Yeah, that's ha- that happens more in like uh, I would say Europe and Germany. They're very they're very vocal about their about everything, their feelings <laughs> and their interpretations about everything. So yeah, sometimes like I remember being there one year and, and someone come up to me and be like. Oh, you were great. You were great, but last year you were you were uh, a lot better, a lot better. It wasn't too good this time. <laughs> and you're like, oh, thanks, man. Wow. <laughs> I don't really know how to take that, but I guess I'll take it. Totally. Is that is that constructive yeah. criticism? I can't tell. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of weird. But. I think in America, people would have a much more difficult time trying to express themselves in a way, or get, even getting the courage to tell someone like you, be like, "Oh yeah, like I've seen you before, and you were much better." But like, and, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's not you know, hey, that's not a bad thing. That's no, I'm not a good thing. You know, that's kind of cool that they do that. So good for them. Yeah, totally. No, I, I, I think it's more so. It's just jarring when you hear it because you're just like, whoa. Yeah, I'm not well, used. It's so un-American. <laughs> right. It's so un-American. You know, like we, we have a tendency not to, not to be able to in- interpret our feelings or tell people what we're feeling. And that's kind of a shame, I think, sometimes. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to, to hear that when you go over to into Europe or into those places where it's a lot more acceptable to be able to communicate with someone. On a level, it's like you know, on an emotional basis. Or yeah, the last thing I want to hit on was because there's an overarching element and theme in regards to um, not only obviously like your lyrics, but sonically as well. The idea of you know unsatisfaction, like it's a it's a difficult thing to be satisfied with whatever level you're at, because there's this idea that obviously you know, uh, especially if you're just breaking it down into a band perspective, and you start, you're like, oh man, I just can't wait to record a demo, and then you record a demo, and you're like, oh, I'm here. It doesn't feel like I'm like that was the end. And so like there's that idea of just always kind of climbing and, you know, wanting more and that sort of idea. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, where you sit personally now, it's like, you know, how how do you yourself kind of uh you know how does it sit in your head in regards to like managing that sort of idea of, you know, not being satisfied and trying to figure out a way to um you know get to a place where not like you can be set like fully quenched of that satisfaction, but of that idea yeah. that you can be like, okay, I'm on a good path. Like I feel I feel like the process I'm doing makes sense. I mean, I think unsatisfaction is 
just a constant thing in all, in all of our lives, people in general. And I think also that it has its ups and downs. To, to be unsatisfied with something is going to make you keep trying or you're going to keep going at things in a certain way. Like if I'm if I'm unsatisfied with the art that I'm... I mean, I don't know, I want to say it's unsatisfaction. It's kind of more... It's kind of more just just you're moving all the time you know i mean there obviously there is a there is a tinge of unsatisfaction in the things that you're doing because you want to make them better right you want to you know make them better or you want to um further yourself in that specific area or whatever and that's important i think people should always kind of be hesitant or they should be looking at what they're doing all the time or trying to make themselves better or trying to make whatever it is they're doing better that might not be unsatisfaction but i think there is a little tiny bit of unsatisfaction in that like maybe there's productive unsatisfaction and there's just blatant unsatisfaction can lead to depression or whatever but um as far as me yes i'm always i've always been unsatisfied with pretty much everything and i think that's I think that's a little bit. I think that's a little bit more humbling because you're always trying to work, work on yourself or your work towards something. I don't think that anyone's ever going to be in a perfect place in their life. Right. You know, you're always going to have a little bit of unsatisfaction. So mm-hmm. to be working towards to be working towards a goal is super important. That goal is to want to be a better person and artist or whatever it is that you do. I think striving for something is kind of maybe a better word to use in some in some terms. But you know, you can't help but be unsatisfied in your life at certain moments. So. Have you personally battled with uh, depression as far as that's concerned? Like, has it has that whole you know unsatisfaction thing kind of swallowed you up and put you in a you know a bad place for a, yeah. a period of time? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. That, that comes in waves. So, you know, I mean, sometimes you're you just you're you're going through it. You know, but sometimes you're happy too. I mean, that's just the way it's been with everything in my life. Sometimes sometimes everything's going good, and sometimes things are going ridiculously terribly. And I think. I actually have I have a friend who's a who's an astrologer and a numerologer mm-hmm. numerologist excuse me and uh, he's told me things that are so near to my life I'm like wow I can't believe that you're explaining it in that in that way totally right about some of the stuff he's coming at me with and one of the things he says is that your life is just a total roller coaster at all times at all moments of the day <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I wish it wasn't like that sometimes I wish it was a little bit more stable but. It's totally out of control all the time. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Because I'm not familiar with numerology at all. Is that, can you explain it to me? (laughs) Uh, A lot of it has to do with numbers that reoccur in your life, whether it's your dates of birth, times times of being born, um, just numbers involving, that are are closely involving your life, how old you are, or what, you know, like I just said, times and things. So, and there's different weird connections. I can't really go into it perfectly with you, but yeah, no, that's fine. Things will align with other things. And interesting, interesting. You have to do with the solar system. And yeah, do you yourself? Because obviously, the connection with your friend, do you you put weight in that? As far as like a, an over, uh, over- yeah, I have I have recently told me things that are things that are so personal and undeniably close uh-huh. to my actual state of mind. Because I, 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 you know, you, you a, lot, a lot of these things that you hear with. Uh, like horoscopes or whatever, they're kind of more lofty things. Sure. Like, oh, you tend to uh, spend money. Right. You're like, what the fuck? You're like, yeah. That applies. To, that apl- does, yeah, that's a, that applies to every. It's too aspect. universal for it to have any kind of weight. But some of these things that he's told me are just so personal. It's like uncanny. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're like, yo, I gotta look into this. But I'm not saying that that makes it factual i'm saying it's just like a story that you read that like if you read a short story that moves you and there's something in there that moves you you relate it to your life therefore you make it a reality to yourself so i've kind of made these things a reality in my life because 
one, I think they're kind of interesting and cool. And two, I just want to believe it because, you know, it's so close. It's so close to me. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. You feel like it's specifically tailored to you. So there's like, there's no reason that I would ignore this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I have a choice. I have a choice to like take certain things into consideration to make things a reality. So I do, I do that. I don't care if someone thinks that they're stupid or whatever, but, Right, right, right. Yeah, they're for, yeah. They're for my own. They're for, they're for myself. You know, they're for me. So no one else's opinion really matters on this. <laughs> this is good for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Like well, my, he tells me, you know, you you know, Ross, you were born on a full moon, and I'm thinking, oh yes, that's another really interesting thing that I think is is weird and might, you know. It's just something that I like to carry around at the end of the back of my pocket. Oh, I was born in the full moon. What do you think about that? That's fantastic. It's strange. Isn't it weird? Isn't it creepy? Isn't it kind of a little bit haunting in a way? Right. Yeah, that's that's cool. You're just like, yo, I can I can pull this out whatever, and obviously I can explain I can explain crazy shit off by the fact I was born yeah. on a full moon. <laughs> you can vibe off that, and you can you can take away other stuff. Or, yeah, no, for yeah. sure. That's I mean, yeah, it's, that sounds exciting and interesting at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out, and um, yeah, this is this was awesome for me. I hope you enjoyed it in some capacity as well. Yeah, it was fantastic. Thank you, Ray. So there's Ross. There is him in a nutshell. The thing that I really admire and like about him as a person and reflecting on that conversation is the fact that he has that holistic view of himself. Where it's like, okay, I am not just this person in this band. Like, my identity doesn't solely reside on that. I use this as an artistic endeavor. I feel like it's an important component of my life. But I just find people that have that perspective to be not only either easier to get along with, um, just have a... A deeper understanding, in my opinion, of life and kind of where it sits, not only within themselves, but how they exist in the world around them. Because, you know, you can get lost in being a person in entertainment, no matter what level. Because the moment that the moment that you think you're cool, that's when you've crossed the precipice of being not cool. There's some air of superiority, whether or not you actually express it in your own head. But if you're acting on it, oh, it's just awful. But anyways... Ross clearly shows none of that. Tom Richfield is the editor. Visit propertyofzack.com. Until next week, be safe, everybody, and just be kind. That's all. I'll talk to you later. Bye. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.